on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Is Austin Powers the most iconic role we've seen from Mike Myers? Was the International Man of Mystery the best thing that ever happened to the James Bond franchise? Who was number two working for? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm your host, and I like to live dangerously, John O'Peck. But joining me, they also like to live dangerously. We've got Ali Hart and Brendan White from The Hungry Gamers. What's going on? Yeah, baby. <laughs> I'll be home. <laughs> Oh. It is all happening. We are very excited. Uh, it's it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure uh, this past week rewatching Austin Powers. Uh, we're very oh, excited glad, to uh, glad to, hear to unpack this uh, gem from the late nineties. Mm. Quick question up the top: Who has been badly imitated more out of Austin Powers and Borat? It's Ooh. I feel like they're the big two. I'm saying Austin Powers. No, yeah. like I feel like Austin Powers had its moment where it was the most, you know, quotable thing. But then Borat, I feel like maybe you took the mantle now. Mm. I yeah. mean, they're up there. Yeah. I feel like they're the big two, the twin towers. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll like I don't know. I'm trying to think. When was the last time I heard someone say like, "Oh, behave," or you know, yeah. "Shaggy"? But I remember people used to say like things were like shagadelic or shaggy baby can, can i ask did, did either of yourselves or either you said it yourself or did you ever get propositioned by someone where they go do i make you horny baby <laughs> no i don't think so did you try that brendan i said it to a partner at the time um full intents of just joking around but also seeing if it might uh lead to something but it, yeah. it didn't she just laughed right. at me and that was the end of that I think it was a bit dated by the time I was ready to say that to someone, my wife. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense when we were yeah. saying it. Yeah, and I think like the Borat lines are a bit easier to just slip into like everyday mm-hmm. dialogue, like my wife and, and <laughs> stuff like that. Whereas you're really going for it as Austin Powers to, to get those quotes out there. Mm. But it is infinitely quotable. We'll get to that. But we are, of course, talking about... Austin Powers, The International Man of Mystery, the first of the trilogy of Austin Powers films. And man, what a, what a rewatch. It's it's great to go back and watch something that... like This is a 90s podcast and everything we do is very 90s, but this particular style, much like we did uh, Basketball Alley, mm. it's something that doesn't really happen. The satire kind of spoof movie. Yeah. And how did you guys feel like it it held up watching it like this week well for me there was this part where i kind of forgot that it was essentially a spoof movie of like spy movies and Mm. i forget that every time i watch austin powers i feel this need to watch goldeneye like straight after it (laughs) so i've completely had forgotten about that kind of link up Mm. yeah goldeneye was just two years before this it was the most recent bond film so mm. there probably is a lot, a lot of, of sprinkling of of that style mm-hmm. in here and just seven months before tomorrow never dies but yeah it's it's interesting because um you, if you did any research on this you might have seen this quote from daniel craig who's been playing james bond for a while saying that the franchise here is what influenced that serious tone that darker more grounded james bond because they shown they they 
shone a light on how ridiculous and cheesy and corny a lot of the gags and conventions and trademarks of the James Bond series are. Like, it's just prime material to be satirized. Mm. Yeah, like, I've, I've got the quote, and, and sadly, I was going to use this in the most offended <laughs> question a bit later. So you've, uh, you've stolen my thunder. But I, I know you'll censor a couple of these beeps because I'm going to quote it verbatim. So Go Daniel Craig said, We had to destroy the myth because the Austin Powers movies f***ed us. I'm a huge Mike Myers fan, so don't get me wrong, but he kind of f***ed us, made it impossible to do the gags. Yeah. I think we've been reading the same IMDb article, probably. <laughs> I went deep in, in an Austin Powers. <laughs> oh, that's great! Uh, sort of knowledge hunt during the week. It was it was great to hear all these little factoids and mm. see the see the things and the ripple effect that this movie created. So uh, it's good. You, you probably saw as well that he gave up on doing Wayne's World three to prepare for this movie. Probably a mm-hmm. good decision Very good in decision. hindsight, given how not so great Wayne's World two was. And how this kind of... I think this is his most iconic role, Mike Myers. I think Austin Powers is how he will be remembered. Like, Wayne's World was huge, but I think... Shrek. This... Shrek. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Shrek is huge, but it's, I don't think the generation of kids that grew up with it would necessarily associate yeah. Mike Myers with the voice. But uh, Austin Powers, like, phenomenon. Like, still a costume that you might see on Halloween and that kind of thing. Mm. It's very iconic, like... Another, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out and they go to the Playboy Mansion and Roman Polanski's there and he's dressed like Austin Powers in the 60s, essentially, or whenever that movie was set. And it reminded me like, oh, I guess that was a look. It wasn't just Austin Powers <laughs> being shagadelic in the 60s. I can confirm it was a look uh, because one one of my personal memories or experiences with this is for one of our school socials i dressed up as austin powers and i wore my (laughs) granddad's wedding suit it was actually burgundy it had the bell bottoms the sort of flared cufflinks out and i had i put like a white school shirt on and i grabbed one of like the doilies off the (laughs) the dining table to make the the, like the frilly cravat cravat neck piece and had doilies in like my my sleeves popping out so i had the frilly frilly hands um had a bit longer hair then so i could sort of zhuzh it a bit austin powersy put some bad fake teeth in and some big thick thick rimmed glasses so i was i was all in on the austin powers dress up i think i might have won like best dress i gotta see photos of this i'll see if i can dig one up yeah i gotta see that i mean brendan's high school photos are are great enough just when he's not in costume but as austin powers i gotta see that. oh yeah (laughs) i certainly peaked you know they say peak during high school that was probably one of my moments right there as austin powers yeah so what what do you guys think in terms of mike myers legacy like i I did an episode on wayne's world a while ago with logan wilkinson but uh, yeah like i said i think this is his most iconic role i think that he probably peaked with this series not necessarily with this film which we can go into a bit later but how do you think Mike Myers will be remembered or is remembered now considering that, you know, since Shrek, he hasn't really been super active as far as film? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. well, I was just going to say, like, you are correct in the sense that although Shrek is very iconic, it's not a visual aspect. Like, you don't put a voice to a face. And mm. I feel like especially, like, I might have my, like, timelines a bit mixed up, but with Austin Powers and then the Austin Powers like trilogy, that's probably the last iconic 
facially recognizable character that he played because he did do Love Guru. Love Guru. And that was a bad, bad (laughs) flop for him for a lot of reasons. So I guess, yeah, this is probably the last like iconic film that he had where he's got a voice to face recognition. Yeah, you're right, because there was the cat in the hat too, but he was in makeup. Yeah, and that was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Brendan? Yeah, like like I think this is this is his legacy almost you could say. Obviously SNL was where he first sort of cracked in and then Wayne's World and then Austin Powers. But outside of that, he hasn't really done anything good where he's been a physical character on screen. Uh, obviously, yeah, the the four Shrek spin-offs and no doubt we're probably gonna see another four of those before, <laughs> you know, our lives expire. Mm. But um yeah, this this is this is Mike Myers to me. Like Wayne's World's good. Uh, I don't think it's as good as it was maybe back in the 90s when it came out. Like, I enjoy the movies, but a lot of the comedy uh, from Wayne's World, some of them kind of like, oh, righto, okay. Swing and whatever else. Maybe maybe I've matured since since these movies came out when I was six six and seven years old. But Austin Powers is Mike Myers to me. And even Dr. Evil, like, those are the two characters that I just think of when I think of Mike Myers. Mm. Well, he is yeah. a, he is a comedy character actor, and although he actually has appeared in some very significant roles recently, like he was in the Queen uh, movie, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, like he was playing the manager, but he was under some very like thick disguise, like, and mm. he was even in Inglorious Bastards as well. But yeah. like, he's playing these like small roles in very iconic films, so maybe that's what he's just doing now to pass the time. Yeah, we'll get to his late later most recent work in a bit but i agree like this is what he's known for it's the iconic characters but i do need to give a shout out to so i married an axe murderer that's a great comedy from the early 90s Mm. probably not good enough to make it onto this podcast but still a really fun watch so uh this film was filmed for 16.5 16.5 million pretty <sighs> modest budget there made 67 million which isn't up there with some of the other movies we've looked at as far as being incredibly blockbuster successful but it did start kind of this cult appreciation and phenomenon of the character that i don't know whether it was on vhs slash dvd probably too early for dvd but it produced a swell enough that the films that came after this were massive like hundreds of millions in uh, box office and profits so yeah I, I mean it's it's funny to see that it started slowly and it didn't just explode the way that you might think back in your memory but what do you guys have this in your uh, mind's eye as far as a rotten tomato score mm. it's weird because for me it's kind of like it's got that like precious kind of like iconic kind of niche for me where it's like it's it was a part of my childhood and i i just enjoyed it so much so i'm sitting mm. at oh god i don't know mid what oh, high mid i'm thinking but i could be wrong okay throw out a number i was gonna say around 60 that's where yeah. i was and yeah. even then i didn't feel completely confident i was gonna say 50 to 60 i'm gonna say like 70 75 70 on the dot yeah there you go sorry (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i guess it was received pretty well for a film that's quite silly but i guess the way that it's done maybe because it was clever and satirizing 
a, a style of film that deserved it i think maybe that really resonated and you know there'd been other films like the the naked gun movies mm-hmm. and that kind of thing that had done this but i think austin powers did it with kind of a fresher take and a, a less cynical yeah. kind of celebrates it's, those cheesy movies at the same time it's better than a lot of the other spoof movies out of like doing the rounds like naked gun was okay like okay. um space balls mm. and what was the other one there was another sort of airplane star trek ripoff oh. Ga- galaxy quest galaxy I think, quest. but that's that might have been in the early 2000s right yeah. no that was a 90s movie but it wasn't a parody satire no thing. it was ju- it was a bit more straight yeah mm. how very dare great you. movie parody my yeah. ass <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh so this was written by mike myers and he says that it was 40 percent improvised too so i think mm. there's that feeling as you watch it that there's a lot of uh comedy that's just coming off the cuff mm. of those massive baggy cuffs of his and it i think it kind of shows through and you really get a sense of mike myers like there's like for some reason when i think of him i think of him dancing in his undies because he does it in Wayne's World and he does it in this movie <laughs> a lot. There's a lot of him dancing in his undies and for some reason, that just is a very Mike Myers thing to me. It's That's apparently like how he's in real life too. Like he's, his wife has sort of said, you yeah, need to yeah. put this on the screen because apparently he just struts around <laughs> either in his jocks or naked all the time at home, mm. you know, shimmying around. Hence hence why it's such a, a yeah. common a common occurrence. And I think the reason this character fits so well with him is because it organically evolved over time. Like his his dad is famously British and or, or Scottish or something. I think British. And that's where he's pulled the accents from for Shrek and for this and for some other roles he's done. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think like there's an SNL sketch where he's doing a pretty much similar character in like a, a band or something, a 60s band. And then joking around in the accent with his wife and and then realizing it should be a proper character so mm. yeah i think like we've mentioned on some of the other podcasts whether it's happy gilmore or uh, a couple of the, yeah a couple of the other ones the 90s was a time where these huge actors were starting to i guess write for themselves to create roles that were tailored to their strengths and this is a really good example of oh, that yeah. working i think oh yeah So are there any like early memories you have with this film before we start getting into the categories? Like, do you remember the first time you watched it? What your reactions were? Um, I'm going to bring up something specifically, which I actually put in the group chat was, I think there's two different versions of this movie. (laughs) Um, So when I first, my first like watching of this and continual watching of this movie was actually like ripped from the TV using VHS. Um, Mm -hmm. and I actually never witnessed the first, like, first good, like, maybe five, ten minutes of this movie. I only started watching it from the scene where we saw the big boy take off into space. Right. So, I never knew about, like, the whole scene with the mum and everything like that. So, (laughs) so I had that kind of, like, view it from that point. But then I noticed as I watched it, like, the other day to study for this... There were scenes missing and very significant scenes to myself where there's two in particular where they go to the families of the henchmen who just get killed and do a scene where like it's so significant where they go, no one ever thinks of the family of a henchman and they weren't on Netflix. And I was like, I'm I'm almost 
certain night there's these two scenes I'm very like they were very like they stood out to me because it was a very good like take to say like you know these henchmen die in these movies and no one ever thinks that they have a family they have like a life outside of this this is just a job for them and I was really disappointed to see that they were missing so I had to look it up and they became deleted scenes I right. think I, I just thought of another one Ali and you might have this too but the orange sherbet scene was yeah. not in the version that I just watched I thought maybe I like went and grabbed a drink and it, I missed it very briefly but yeah the orange sherbet and it's iconic too yeah it was very iconic full ah. disclosure though, I, I downloaded a copy I didn't stream it on, on a right. streaming service I just found it on the internet somehow so, so yeah and, and I must have got the full the full fledged Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently cut from the American release at the time. So I wonder why they would leave it out. But do you not have Netflix, Brendan? <laughs> I do, but I was just, um, yeah, on a on a pirate journey, one might say. And I went, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to grab this. And I thought it saved me worrying. And it took me, you know, 30 seconds to download it or whatever. So it was just there, ready to go. Oh, and that scene's got Christian Slater in it too. So it's like mm. really... Yeah confusing that the, they would the hypnotized guard <laughs> i didn't make uh, it so we're not on an equal playing field here we watch different movies but anyway we'll push on <laughs> uh the the number one song when this movie released in 1997 anyone want to guess it was april in america and august over a- in australia april 97 97 so i was 11 what was out then I don't even know if it's the same year, but I'm just going to throw a dart and say Crash Test Dummies. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I, like, I don't know why. I think that came out earlier because it was in uh, Dumb and Dumber, wasn't it? Ah, you're right. I'm sitting 95. there going, I can't remember if we talked about that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh, okay. Ellie? No, that's really thrown my like musical gauge off because I'm thinking, like, whenever I think of the 90s, I always think of like those like dance songs kind of things. So like Ace of Bass and like, mm. like, um, like Macarena. Yeah, like those kind of things and like Rhythm of the Night. Like that kind oh, of that's stuff. A good song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm. I'm All right. Yeah, I got no clue. <laughs> no clues. Well, in America, we've got Puff Daddy. Can't nobody hold me down. Oh damn! In April, damn. and then uh, in Australian shores, he's back. Puff Daddy and Faith Evans with I'll oh, be missing I'll you. be missing you. Damn! Oh, so wow. quite a year for old P. Did. Yeah. For old Combs. Damn. Combsy. And then. A little bit after that, or around that same time, like with Godzilla coming out, he had mm. um, that song that was a big hit for him for a while as well. Yeah, he was, was it "Come he with was, Me," I think. Yeah, it was the Kashmir uh, sample, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But just before the "I'll Be Missing You" was number one. The number one song was "Umbop." So I was hoping oh. one of you guys might throw that as a as a token '90s song, <laughs> but uh, just just missed out by that much. Were you a, a handsome gal, Ali? Look, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had a crush and question my sexuality by finding one of them attractive. So, yeah. <laughs> which which one? The one that questioned all our sexuality, the middle one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Taylor, the lead singer. I believe Taylor, Taylor, yeah. 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 <laughs> He's got like know. seven kids or something yeah. now, something ridiculous. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. All right. What have you done for me lately? So mentioned this on the previous uh, Wayne's World podcast, but Mike Myers has a comedy series coming out on Netflix. Still don't have any update on 
where it's at, when it's coming out, mm. or what it's going to be. But I'm excited to see what he can do in that kind of format. Mm. I don't know about that. I'm I'm intrigued, uh, but excitement. I'm going to park for now because uh, I still have nightmares over the Love Guru. So um, yeah, yeah. don't don't do me wrong, long- Mike Myers. <laughs> That was a long time ago, though. I think no. he would have, you know, he's taken all this time to kind of hibernate and stew it over and look at all these comedians having their own TV shows and they're all, like, so much more grounded than the style of humour that was big when he was big, I think. So, we'll see. That's the problem. It'd be fun if it was, like, that, like, Aziz or that Louis C.K. style sitcom where it's more or less fictionalised versions of themselves. Mm. I don't know. I think he might be... He's a bit more grown up. He's probably too old to be like rolling around like Austin Powers or Oh no, he's I reckon he's gonna milk that for all it's worth. He's gonna be playing all these larger than life characters. Maybe the old hypersexualized Austin Powers makes a return in some spin off. Yeah. But Oh, so like the yeah. those British shows, like how oh, I'm trying to think Little Britain, something like that. Uh, okay. yeah. See, I don't like think- Little Britain. I, I didn't like it either. British comedy just doesn't land for me. I like British comedy. I just didn't like Little Britain. So, like... Mm. I love Little Britain, so yeah. I can't relate to you. <laughs> Speaking of, of uh, Britain, Liz Hurley. Yeah. Huge in this movie. Probably probably her peak, I would have to say. Would you agree? No way. Well, the, hang, um... hang on. Bedazzled. When did that come yeah, out? Bedazzled yeah, Bedazzled. Bedazzled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was stunning in I don't that. Know. I, I think she's better here. Like, I think she's a bit more likable. But uh, it's, it's an argument to be made. She is... Something in Bedazzled, but uh, Shane Warne, she was engaged to to Warney for. I remember for a while. that. I found I found that so weird that she, this like woman that became known for being Hugh Grant's girlfriend in the early nineties when Hugh Grant was like the biggest thing ever, ended up with Shane Warne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was when he wasn't even Warnie. an athlete anymore. <laughs> it just <laughs> gave her a couple of wrongins, I bet. <laughs> Googlies. Bit of the middle stuff. Uh, um, the thing and, was, and she like, is still stunning. Yeah, like, she's fifty-four years old, and she is yeah. still a very, very attractive woman. And, that like, was the thing. Yeah, she's got some genes that make people jealous. I think, like my goodness, mm-hmm. not working much anymore. She was in the Marvel Runaways series, I think, oh. for a couple episodes at least. Mm. And prior to that, she played a royal on the Royals, oh. which was like four seasons. I never watched it, but. That was all I could find that she's worked in, and she certainly hasn't done anything in film that's like left an impression on me or probably any of you guys. I'm guessing. No. Bedazzled might be the last notable yeah. film. Like you look at these other films she's in, and yeah, I've got no idea about all of them. But Bedazzled was great. Oh, it was happened. really well done. It might be that she um she did like break the picket line during the writers' strike or not the writers' strike, like a Screen Actors Guild strike, and that maybe got her like blacklisted from hollywood or something uh, possible. maybe it's possible mm. there has to be a reason when someone like that just disappears exactly she seemed like a, a pretty big star for a while mm-hmm. maybe it was hugh grant maybe he got a blacklist yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> uh seth green i love seth green and i think he's really great in this movie would you say this is his most iconic role in film mm. um no uh, can't hardly wait yeah can't yeah. hardly wait <laughs> Do you think he gets that more than people call him Scott on the street, though? Like, I guess, yeah. Like, it's definitely it, it's definitely one of his most iconic yeah. roles. So, yeah. yeah I, What's his name in Can't Hardly Wait? I don't know what that character's name was. That's true. I'd, I'd say also, like, I think of him from Buffy a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, no, that's fair. Yeah. 
it's hard to get past something like that, I guess. I always link him to but robot chickens, though. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty much what he's been doing. He's oh, done Chris. 10 seasons of it since 2005. It's still going. It's one of those shows that they just take a couple of years off and come back. And he's so. Chris from Family Guy, so... Yeah, that too. <laughs> he's got the paychecks. He doesn't need to work. Yeah, he's good. He's set. <laughs> and uh, and Joker then, in Mass Effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very iconic role. Probably his most iconic role to us, Brendan. <laughs> but he's a very busy man. He's done so many things. Yeah, his filmography is very long. And mm-hmm. he directed a film last year called Changeland with Bracken Meyer and Macaulay Culkin. So if that pops up on Netflix or something, I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. Also Randy Orton. So, you know. Oh, oh wow. What? <laughs> you got you to gotta give it up for... Like, that's pretty much... Brecken Meyer and him and Mac, you can just see them partying hard in the late 90s. Like, that would have been the crew yeah. at one point. Yeah, they're all best friends. Yeah, they're all the robot chicken boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's get into the rest of it. What's the most 90s moment for you guys? I don't know if I have a 90s moment per se. Like, I'm going to probably do a bit of a cop-out answer here and just Mike Myers in general for me. Uh, yes. Like, there isn't, there isn't... A moment I think that stands out above any others in this movie, like the the soundtrack, maybe could sort of get some mm. honourable mentions for me. But I just think Mike Myers, like this was the peak of his powers uh, as far as off the back of the success with Wayne's World, and then uh, a couple of Austin Powers films at the back end of the nineties before uh, Goldmember came out. What that was two thousand and one, I think Goldmember or early two thousand. Yeah, something like that. Two thousand two or three, probably. Yeah, but Ooh. he he was sort of one of the one of the lead dogs in that uh, you know nineties comedy era. So I think Mike Myers for me, just in general, like. Mm pretty young minded back then like when this movie came out I was 11 so I didn't really have a full grasp like Jim Carrey and Mike Myers were probably the two and Adam Sandler they were the three sort of faces of comedy for me at that age and and my mum had a worked at a video store so I used to watch a lot of these movies when they'd make it to VHS so yeah Mike Mm. Myers is is where I'm uh, planting my flag that makes sense because if you just see if someone says I'm watching a Mike Myers movie it's going to be a 90s movie, unless it's mm. Shrek. Like, it's just going to be something from the 90s. Yeah, that's yeah, true. What about you, Ali? Um, the, the technology, and it's um, because they're, they're spies and everything like that, mm. like, and you have someone that's from the past trying to interact with 90s technology, and they're kind of like, what an idiot. Like, look at this high-quality 90s technology, and then we're watching yeah. it now just going... That ain't that ain't nothing like just the the chunky laptops and the phones yeah, yeah. and the like everything that's meant to be high tech and now it's just it's unfortunately just a little bit laughable so it's funny isn't it yeah just, there's like he, he tries to put the record needle on the CD yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kids these days are like what's a CD um and yeah. it was like it's just watching him interact with that like when he tried to work with the laptop and just seeing him like closed this really fat like laptop Mm. like it was like the size of a book and i was just like oh my god like it used to be like that like that's how Mm. fat and chunky a laptop was yeah yeah there's definitely some great 90s technology we saw an aol online Mm -hmm. like screenshot which is pretty funny yeah a bit of product placement there at the end of the movie he's doing a video chat and it's a casio handheld laptop i think they called them like pas personal Mm -hmm. assistants and I had to Google that and it was really hard to find out what it was because it wasn't 
a blackberry even though it had the same kind of keyboard of, yeah. and it wasn't a, a laptop it was like very small i didn't palm pilot it, baby i had yeah, one at a, yeah. at a job in the early 2000s that was my work phone they gave me one of those nice. and it was the biggest dog of a thing to use but was kind of cool you felt like you're a little bit sort of in the future with it but it was just a piece of crap and did it have video conferencing capability like that yeah, one yeah yeah it had oh, like wow. email on there and it had like oh, the little man. stylus pen that slides out of the side like it was so big and impractical like it was it was how half the it, size of a brick how did it access internet um just off the 3g really so yeah data charges were probably very large but yeah 3g it was, in um, the early 90s yeah yeah, oh, well, yeah. well yeah. speaking of video conferencing the other thing is is that it should be all great technology and like when he sends um like a video message to austin to tell him that he needs to like find out more information with miss alata vagina um the video quality still isn't great like <laughs> it's still shitty yeah. video quality whereas now like we expect 4k like live yeah. so it's funny mm. I had a few uh, 90s kind of references that I want to shout out here, oh, apart yeah. from the, te- the technology. So, well, first of all, we have scenes early with the soup Nazi from Seinfeld at the casino as the blackjack <gasps> dealer. And then, like, Babu from Seinfeld. The, there, there's the, so many Seinfeld characters yeah. that, that, are, that pop up in this movie. Yeah, Babu's click. in the UN. Uh, and then I think Robert Wagner did... Uh, an episode of Seinfeld so yeah Seinfeld is the most 90s thing there could be and seeing these guys pop up it's like I almost thought like are they gonna make a soup Nazi joke because he's so recognizable as the soup Nazi and I've seen that on like scrubs and stuff but I guess they were he was still trying to play a character that wasn't a soup Nazi yeah I I didn't I didn't realize it was him I just thought it was Mm. just some actor there you go you have to rewatch the whole thing now great for the millionth there was time. The, <laughs> there was the Beavis and Butthead scene where they, yeah. he's like flicks the screen off and it changes the channel. Mm-hmm. Scott had a couple of a great 90s moments. I think he's like, when I think of Scott, he is like the <laughs> classic like grunge Nirvana era mm-hmm. teenager that's grown up in that time. And he, he tells Dr. Evil there's a good titty movie on Skinamax. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> that whole like concept of cable tv and scheduling something around what's on tv like at least for me Mm. t like i don't watch tv at all anymore it's all streaming so that feels so old but particularly like that time where you know teenage kids were out to see any kind of boob they could possibly find Mm. uh (laughs) and that was often like staying up late and seeing whatever movie came on tv yeah hopes of seeing some skin yeah (laughs) yeah kids hey crazy crazy kids now it's on their phone for free (laughs) and more the other one was he he says to dr evil can i take my sega and i was like you're definitely not going to be referencing sega outside the 90s (laughs) (laughs) sorry dreamcast owners (laughs) i just loved his style as well yeah Yeah. his style's great (laughs) (laughs) let's go on to most iconic scene and i want to kick this one off by talking about Dr. Evil, because we haven't really touched on him yet. We've talked a little bit about how Mike Myers came to the uh, Austin Powers character, but Mm. I feel like Dr. Evil is so funny. Like, 
everything he does is so good and it, almost every scene he's in is up for grabs as like the most iconic scene <laughs> yeah yeah there, there's like a bunch of lines that are, you know come from the movie where it's just from him but like him as a character where he's really like he's meant to be this evil bad guy that you know has reached this crazy level where he has all these henchmen and this evil empire but he also doesn't get that level of respect as well like like he just breaks all those like kind of circumstances where he's telling everyone about his great plan and then like number two's in the background yeah. just, <laughs> like <laughs> he's trying so yeah. hard to be liked and accepted by by his yeah. crew and it's and it's kind of adorable mm. uh, especially with with some of yeah the the facts and and the things that he's throwing around like i i still crack up about the whole one million dollar thing and, and yeah. then uh, you know bribing like and it was pretty topical for the time bribing prince charles about potentially having an yeah. affair oh, and yeah. it's like well it you know, and it did happen with Camilla, uh, Camilla Parker Bowles, but then also obviously his, his his late wife also passed away, so that got canned initially and on the, release. That yeah. scene they cut it out for for British yeah. audiences. So it was so close to the release, wasn't it? Yeah, but no, Doctor, he's very underrated. <laughs> did you guys have a most iconic scene? Because I found it really hard to kind of pinpoint one that comes to mind when you think of the film. Look, my. My most iconic scene, it's because for me, I always remember it. It had no reference for me. I don't know if it existed in Australia, but it was obviously iconic for Americans and it made sense. But the uh, Meow Mix song, that that always <laughs> just stayed in my head. <laughs> like, And I like, I have no idea if Meow, Meow Mix is a real thing. I don't know, yeah. like, you know, if that's the real jingle, but I always remember Meow Mix. So that's always that's stayed in my head. I think I think if I look at it from sort of two sides, when I was a kid, I think my mind was blown and I was in hysterics at sort of the, the back end of the movie regarding the, the like, well, the, the nudity scene where they're concealing themselves with various yeah. objects oh, yeah. in, in the... Yeah in the hotel room like as an 11 year old kid i thought it was one of the most smartest things the world has ever done like and i was in in stitches and i was so committed to it like it was so deadpan but it was just so perfectly done by myers and hurley it it got me really really good The the choreography was great what quality was your download because i like i said i just watched it off netflix i actually watched it on a big screen and the scene where she's talking to her mom and Austin's in the background, the scene where they're trying to be very subtle from him moving to scene to scene, I actually saw his little, the, the little, you know, sock thing that he, that actors wear when they're meant to be naked. Modesty sock so the most, or whatever. Yeah. I actually yeah. saw it. So like the quality had been improved on the movie, unfortunately. And <laughs> I was watching it on a big screen and there's like a bit where he pans from like behind her to like behind some glasses. And it, it was there. I was like, oh, Okay. I've seen too much of this actor that I, I wanted to. I didn't notice his sock. Um, I was just giggling. Maybe I wasn't paying good enough. Like the, 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 the rip I had was pretty good quality. Like I'm not sitting there squinting trying to work out what's going on. Like it was DVD quality uh, as per the internet. But um, yeah, I didn't didn't see no modesty socks. Yeah. But yeah, that, that got me. And um, I, I think, I don't know if it's iconic in, in the traditional sense of the word, but I guess... For who it was at the time, but the whole Mustafa situation just gets me. Like, like yeah. Will Ferrell, nothing dude at the time, uh, really in that sort of back end of the nineties, hadn't really ascended to where he is today. But that scene just got me. Obviously, they they flogged it again in in um, future Austin Powers releases. Mm. But 
it just got me and um i think i was just in awe just seeing will will ferrell young <laughs> is kind of a weird thing for me as yeah. well like he doesn't yeah. have had doesn't have the frown lines and the ageness that he has in, in today's today's sort of cinema so that, yeah. that's another one i wanted to highlight because it was just cracking me the hell up <laughs> actually just, just that back and forth yeah sorry badly another burnt another yeah, very badly burnt the other scene that is kind of iconic and i don't know why but i always found it funny um and then i still every now and then like kind of like bring it up for whatever horrible situation but the bathroom scene where he's getting like strangled um and he says the line like who does mr um who does mr two work for or who does number, no, two, number two number two yeah who does number yeah. two work for and just how that entire scene played out and how clever it was and having yeah. that and interaction. Tom Arnold's beside it, just yeah, exactly. like terrified and repulsed. He's just yeah, like, oh, no, no. Yeah, well, at first he's really supportive of him. He's like, no, we'll get through this, man. Yeah, you tell that turd who's boss. Like, you know, I just remember that scene just laughing at it just because of how great it was. But that specific line, who does Mr. Two, uh, who's number two work for, is just like funny. Yeah, I had, I had that in the million dollars thing written down but i think for this i've got a favorite scene or the scene that i think is the best and then probably the most iconic so i'll say the scene that i think is the best is when dr evil has finally captured austin powers and he's explaining his plan and scott's there and they're making all those kind of digs at the conventions of bond films where they do this thing they put them in the slow unnecessary <laughs> trap and they don't watch them you know they don't watch what happens they just walk off mm-hmm. and uh it's got those moments between the improvised moments between dr evil and scott with all the shh business mm-hmm. and then it's got the, obviously if you include this as well the whole like laser beams trouts with laser beams <laughs> It's got the swinging on the floss and then, of course, all the puns about the guy losing his head mm-hmm. and he'll never be the head of the company. Like, I think that that stretch of the film is probably, I think, the best for me and just made me laugh so much. Yeah. But then, as far as, like, most iconic, I almost have to go with the intro and I don't know if this counts for you, Ali, because <laughs> you grew up with a, a VHS <laughs> version that didn't have it. But the 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 Bossa Nova Austin Powers song, oh yeah, is and him dancing like that's the lasting imagery I think from the movie. And even watching it the other day, it had me laughing throughout that intro, just at how like who this character is. It's, it's just a funny thing where he's this guy in the '60s, and women find him super attractive even though he's kind of hideous uh with the teeth and everything Mm -hmm. and just everything is going his way and it it just it gets me for some reason it is a great opener and it it sets it sets the sets the table really well like it's it's just a good fun and (laughs) it just it it doesn't make sense to me obviously and that's part of the, the the satire and the fun in it where he is a very ugly man, but yeah, women are just drawn to him, regardless of, of how much they play up the British trope of horrible te- horrible teeth and things like that. But he's just mm. this this sex symbol that is timeless. Like he pivots to the nineties, and he's still got that magnetism and and that hotness. Like he the mojo, uh, yeah, oh. yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of great like physical comedy and like visual gags in that intro. Whether it's like he, like the women are chasing after him and he's hiding in like the telephone booth and, and stuff like that. 
and I think that's something moving into this next category what holds up the best I think there's so many moments like that where there's no dialogue it's just what's happening on camera is making me laugh whether it's like the doors closing behind and like catching him on the bum or the 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 visual of him trying to like a hundred point turn that trolley cart around the (laughs) narrow corridor and then there's like the steamroller slowly 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 rolling towards the guy that's screaming out like there's so many moments where even though i think the script holds up really well because there's so many great like cheesy gags but also quite clever Mm -hmm. jokes in there i think even without those just the the kind of the movements and the the scripting that's done in as far as like the stage directions and and those kind of gags they work so well and that includes what you were saying before brendan with the clever camera work and the prop moving around to cover nude bits which happens a couple times in the movie mm-hmm. mm. so what holds up the best for you guys i think i think pretty much exactly what you just said like the, the comedy as a whole like my i'd like to think that my maturity levels have increased since i was 11 watching this <laughs> but the comedy like there wasn't really times where i'm sitting there going, man i just want this movie to end like i still enjoyed the 90 odd minutes uh you know spy comedy roller coaster that it takes you on i still had some good chuckles uh that there's some great iconic scenes i i like just everything about it like it's just a good easy film to watch and the fact that I can be in my early 30s now and still have a good giggle and not cringe too much or not cringe when it, I guess it's not thought like the intention of that scene yeah. is to make you cringe or roll your eyes. Like I think every every joke is in there for a purpose. Like I don't think there's too much throwaway. Like it adds a lot of weight to it. And I really like, as you mentioned earlier, just that ad-libbing that they did where 40% of it was just off the cuff and it just flows and I love that. Like it's it's a quick 90-minute watch and yeah. it was certainly Mike Myers at the height of his powers, like especially doing the dual role. Like it is yeah. chalk and cheese, the two uh, the two leads and he does it so well. Like he's fully committed to, to both, both characters and you can see that. Everybody that's in the movie is aware of what this movie is about and they either overplay their hand when's needed but also uh given it they're all it feels like every character bit part or otherwise mm. like even like yeah robert wagner like he's a bit of a straight shooter like he doesn't play too many comedic roles from my memory of seeing him on the screen and from to jump into this and still play this very deadpan straight down the line character but also adds some light comedic weight to it it's fantastic mm. yeah what do you think ali oh very much the same but i just like i think what holds up for me is yeah just making iconic characters like just like it wasn't just one iconic character in that movie there was a few in there like even even so like with dr evil yeah yeah yeah, exactly like his henchmen like everyone remembers like certain other like little side characters and then like obviously it's not fair to kind of like go further than this movie but then it just became a running thing with the austin powers franchise that more iconic characters Mm. were created and um it's 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 a big thing to make like especially not only like iconic characters for the moment but iconic characters that last through the ages and that can still be referenced and still like you know brought into like the referenced into the future especially regardless of what you kind of mentioning so making such you know significant characters that last through time i think like that really has been holding up so character creation 
on whoever no. was involved if it was just like Mike himself or you know if even the actors got involved no that's good good answer there I, I want to give a shout out again to Dr. Evil and say that what holds up the best beyond what we've said already is hit the Lorne Michaels impression and if, if people don't know Lorne Michaels is the head behind Saturday Night Live he's been involved with that show since it was created he only took a, a few years off early in, in the early days but he's been there ever since and he's been like responsible for so many huge things to come out of saturday night live and nbc in general including like he's very involved in like the tonight show and that kind of thing but yeah dr evil is essentially an impersonation of lorne michaels and anyone that's ever been on snl has done an impression of lorne mm -hmm. but this one in particular with like holding up the finger to his mouth is apparently a dana carvey bit that he did and used to do in like the snl offices and it was actually a wedge between him and Mike Myers because he felt like Mike Myers stole it and didn't give him credit. And it's one of the reasons that they're not like best of friends today. Oh. And like, there's probably not going to be a, a Wayne's World 3. Yeah. Um, yeah. So didn't give him credit, didn't ask him to play the role. I think Dana Carvey would have been like great in that role, but it, it works so well with Mike playing both of them. Yeah. It's, kinda, it's a very, it's a very 90s thing to do with eddie murphy and other people who've, who've done that over the years but yeah i think that because lorne michaels is so much more known now because it's 25 years later essentially knowing that it's an impression of him makes it even funnier to me now i'm trying to think because like i have seen some of the like youtube videos where it shows you all the different like snl cast because everyone does their impersonation apparently bill Hader has right. the best one I think. Okay, yeah. So I'm now trying to like link them up and see if I can like... Yeah, the, the Bill Hader one is like just casually dropping like name dropping <laughs> name just... celebrities yeah. into it. Like oh, I was having I was having dinner with uh, Simon Garfunkel and he mentioned, you know... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Simon Garfunkel, Paul Simon. <laughs> on, a, on a loosely related note, did you see though that Jim Carrey was initially offered the role of Dr. Evil and he had yeah. to turn it down because he was signed up to Liar Liar? Liar? Yeah, yeah. That would have been a very different film, wouldn't it? 100%. It would, yeah. I, think, I think if that casting occurred, the movie wouldn't hold up as well. I think because Jim Carrey would do Jim Carrey stuff and it would just be too overplayed. Yeah. Mm. It'd be a bit more like the Riddler crossed with Dr. Evil, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Shudders. <laughs> yeah. So good. So good. Okay. We will move on to what holds up the worst. Is there anything while you're watching, like you mentioned, Brendan, there wasn't anything that really made you cringe that wasn't meant to, but is there anything that you think doesn't hold up so well now compared to at release? Um, mm. not, not really. This was a tough one. Like, and I thought about this for a while and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe the, like something that holds up less, especially in this this climate today, is sort of just I guess the objectifying of women so much is is the only thing, and that sort of I guess could tie into the the next point as well. That's the only thing I wrote down, and even that had a bit of a question mark. Like, mm. uh, obviously, it's it's he's from a different era, and they try and almost brush it aside. It's like, oh, it's okay, you know, he, he sees all these women as objects in this movie, but it's because he's from the sixties. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's something that that follows through the future movies as well, which which gets a little bit more noticeable, I think, when you see it just hammered again and again and again and again and again. Like, 
he ends up, you know, slaying his his previous missus's daughter <laughs> in this movie. Like, you know, yeah. so so the moral compass isn't really there. But I don't know outside of that. Like, you just take the movie for what it is. Like, and I think because it jumps across so many so many periods of time, it sort of is timeless in it, in itself. Mm. I feel because it goes from the sixties to the nineties, so it sort of doesn't really exist in one commonplace for me i i felt when i was watching it like it just feels like it's just this this fun movie that you could plug and play in just about any era i want to i I just want to counter that because i do agree there is that kind of like sexualization of women but there's a very significant part where vanessa's drunk and trying to crack onto him and he actually has a moral compass to say yeah no you're drunk it's not right like i and i feel like that's actually pretty significant for the time and it could really yeah, yeah. no that's very true i didn't write that in my note but that is you bang on the money there really be, be important like i just i, I when yeah. i saw that i'm like far out that could just be that's really important then and now and forever really so yeah i think that was a really important character development moment because he had been this kind of sleazy womanizing character trying to get her into bed and everything and then all the while they'd been, I think a little counter to what you were saying, Brendan, they'd been kind of saying like, it's the nineties now, you can't do that. You, it's not the way things are. And he was struggling to get that into his head. But when push came to shove, he did the right thing and was respectful to the woman. And I think that that kind of means that, you know, while he was doing all this kind of sexist stuff, the joke was that he was this dinosaur that was out of place. Yeah. Not that it's funny to do that. So I think it, holds up in that regard there it, it is like actions speak louder than words and there are visuals that show a bit of like exploitation of of sexuality in that thing i think the fembots probably mm. are the ones that don't hold up so well <laughs> and i know it's yeah. a gag so it's like yeah you kind of get away with it but particularly the whole like song and dance part of that fight scene going on for so long that was a little bit too much for me like i was like okay i get this like probably doesn't need to be drilled home so much i'm just gonna say thanks to that scene i fell in love with the band the divinals who are also australian mind you so (laughs) like just want to say that throw that one out there (laughs) yeah but i guess a little closer to what you were saying brendan there is a line that is there's a lot of weight behind now it's like (laughs) he says to the actor playing or he says to random task the odd job kind of rip-off character after he throws the shoe like he says you fight like a woman which is a really like you can't talk like that anymore it's like a very loaded expression to use yeah Yeah. and he also calls um i always forget how to say his name but um basil exposition's mom looks like a man and she's been beat with an ugly stick and and it's like like that was kind of what my angle was like although the movie's funny there's a few little niche jokes in there that are kind of like come on like there's the penis pump gag where the idea of the the object is funny. And I'm like, I think that's kind of dated. But the whole follow-up when he's trying to say it's not mine, that kind of follow-up where he just keeps on getting buried, that's funny. But the idea of like a penis pump and then the fart in the spa, like spa scene. There's a few little niche jokes where I'm like, eh, yeah. like, this is a bit dated. It was probably funny back then. But for now, I'm just like, eh. We haven't even talked about a lot of vagina. No. Oh, sorry, a lot of, of vagina. A lot of vagina. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny. Like, they must have had a limit of how many times they could say her name because 
he kept calling her the Italian bird after yeah. that. <laughs> oh man, the the last oh, there's kind of two prongs to this thing that I want to say is holding up the worst, and it's the ending because of what happens in the second movie. They kind of retcon the entire character of is, is it Vanessa? Vanessa is that her name? Yeah. yeah, Vanessa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they kind of they just retcon her as like a robot the whole entire time, despite the fact that she's very clearly not in this movie. Yeah, uh, and it just kind of undermines this character. When I rewatch it now, it's like uh, like knowing that they got married. Like, did they get married at the end of the yeah, the honeymoon. Yeah, they're yeah. on their honeymoon. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. They're on their honeymoon. And then it's like, oh, it feels a bit cheap knowing that the next scene that starts off in the next movie is her trying to kill him. Like, doesn't make sense at all. Uh, but, like, he, like, tug in cheek, like, even they kind of acknowledge it where, like, she has the same thing as the fembops with the gun in the boobs kind of mm. thing. And he goes, I wonder how I missed that. Like, like kind of yeah. thing. Like, so they kind of acknowledge it. But it's true. Like, absolutely just like pushing a whole character development like aside it's like then what happened to her like the mother gave birth is she a fembot like what's that <laughs> yeah. relation like yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like they they probably had to say like oh she had been killed off and replaced by this robot at a certain yeah. point yeah i guess but, but they don't do that, that was my so thought process like, <laughs> uh, but g- going along with that fight and even like the fight like a woman the odd job character that guy Random task. You brought this up before, Brendan, before recording. The actor who played him, John Joe's son, is serving a lifetime in prison for torture of a 19-year-old woman in 1990. This doesn't hold up well, his inclusion in the movie. Uh, he went uncaptured until 2008 when a DNA match linked him to the crime. And according to the victim, she had a copy of this movie in her home until her attacker's identity was revealed in 2017 he was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate so we're not going to be seeing him in any movies what? anytime soon imagine if he killed his cellmate with a shoe oh what a twist but what? yeah that's yeah. that's heavy stuff like wait it's the, the fact that this occurred too well before the movie like he yeah. was a bad bad yeah. man years before this movie came out and obviously i can't remember seeing him in anything since and and happily so um and, mm. and it's great to see that the legal system is is putting him through the ringer now and, and yeah. whatever else but yeah it's it's horrific when like i was just randomly looking at like characters to see what they've been up to and i'm like oh okay yep that's not what i expected at all like it's what a twist it's intense and yeah, the fact so... that, that 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 poor victim <laughs> had the movie at her at her apartment yeah. or house not really connecting the dots that this was her attacker and abuser all those years ago like that's Who that's some, a crime that's and then goes stuff. i'm gonna become an actor yeah it's uh <laughs> oh bill cosby i guess but oh true yeah might have been the other way around for him but anyway i guess it, it's just a bizarre thing and it, it like it i'm glad i read that after watching the movie because that doesn't hold up well i think yeah, like, yeah watch, me too. it'd be hard to it'd be hard to watch his scenes knowing that he's a man that's capable of this like heinous crime it's yeah anyway let's let's move on to uh who who would be most offended i guess it would be anyone that knows this victim but uh otherwise (laughs) did any anyone have anything for that i guess like women possibly depending on their sensibilities 
yeah, women potentially, and and sort of what I mentioned near the start of the piece where you, where you referenced Daniel Craig and James Bond. I was just going to write the uh, <laughs> you know, writers and and producers, both past and present, of of James Bonds because this movie came out and and made them have to to rework their their model as far as what James Bond was and how they delivered that mm. to screens. So. Um, like in all honesty, I think they change it for the better. The the yeah, the, the current say. iteration of Bond is great. He's no nonsense. They cut out all that that sexualization for the most part, and the gag work, and it's more just straight shooter uh, spy espionage, which is great. But um, yeah, that's that's where I'm gonna sort of plant my flag on this one. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I like. I'm assuming like some of the like the accents and stuff, like the little tropes that they found like comedy in, like. Would the British still be offended, like, if they brought out a character like this now? Like, you know, he really jumps on the the British stereotypes of bad teeth and, you know, (laughs) all that sort of stuff. So The Irish guy with his lucky charms. Yeah, yeah, the Irish guy as well. And I'm never going to say her name, like, Frau, whatever her last name is. Um, You know, so she's got her accent and her character as well. And... um, Mustafa. They certainly double down on the stereotypes. Like even like you look at Goldmember and Foxy Cleopatra, and the amount of time she's like Shazam and Pow and all that. Mm. And I'm like, man, they are really <laughs> dialing in the black exploitation here, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm just wondering, like that, like back then, I guess it was kind of like, oh, it's all fun and games. Like you know, it's all comedy. But now it's like you've got to be a bit more cautious. You got to be a bit more mm. aware, like what's comedy and what's just outright like rude. So. Yeah, I think it's you're right, but then again, I think if if there was an Australian character in this movie, we know what that would be. Like it would be a Simpsons oh, character, essentially. Exactly, and I don't think it would offend us. It would just be like not that funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess it just yeah. depends. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but uh, do we think Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery passes the internet relevancy test? Um, I think to a degree, like. There, there is a lot of quotes from the screenplay that are still relevant today. Uh, don't really see too many notable, uh, notable gifts, but I think you know um, the dangers. My middle name still gets me. I've, I've heard a few people say that over the years, and it yeah. makes me shudder. Obviously, the the shagadelics and the do I make you hornies and things they they get thrown around. And I guess at this time of year, especially, you see a lot of Austin Powers Valentine's parody cards out and about mm. so um I, I think it's still relevant today there's a couple that i see a lot or I, maybe it's because i use them but uh, <laughs> one <laughs> one of them is nerd alert when uh <laughs> when she's like unpacking her like utensils and everything's so neatly packed that's mm. a that's a great one when someone's talking about uh world of warcraft or something that's that i don't like something in nerd culture that never grabbed me just instantly makes that person feel nerdy, even though I'm equally or if not more of a nerd. Um. And uh, the other one is uh, I too like to live dangerously. So there's a, there's a few in there that um, you can pull up. And if you were to just type Austin Powers, there are so many great reactions uh, that you can find. And so, some of them might be from later movies, but I think a lot of them are from, from this film. Yeah, I like I I personally can't think of any that like I witness directly online. About the only thing that I think I still kind of get referenced is just and whenever someone references the money of one billion dollars. 
Yeah, yeah. Like that, I have someone always does the line. Yeah, that's like a real life meme. Like, uh, mm. uh, yeah, like still, that's probably like the most long standing, long lasting mm. thing. It's, it's, if Borat has my wife, this has a hundred million dollars, a hundred billion, or a million dollars. Yeah. Do we think that smartphones and social media would change this movie? I don't think they would really. I think it would just be another piece of technology to kind of like blow Austin's mind as far as like the power of the internet. And I think, you know, we, there's so many shots of him taking photos that the, maybe he'd be like taking selfies. Yeah. I can see that. I think I think I went sort of with another character and thought maybe Dr. Evil would become mm. a little bit more aware of the, the current surroundings and the current climate. Like the, yeah. the thing we mentioned earlier with, with Prince Charles the the one million dollars being a huge amount and the things like that layer. yeah yeah so oh, i think he'd, well, he'd be on the internet getting getting up to speed with with where things are at and and being a little bit more savvy you know what though like and especially the current political climate i think the media if it was evolved like it was now like back then is dr evil being linked to this corporation and this you know wonderful corporation being linked to an evil guy like yeah that would be news and but they'd be found out, and he'd probably like they'd probably run into a lot of issues. They'd probably get away with it, but they'd probably run away run with, with like a lot of issues. So we might also get um, a bit of Austin Powers hashtag Me Too movement <laughs> happening as well. I, I too have <laughs> I been groped by Austin Powers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man. Which brings us to: Could you make this in 2020, and what would that look like? I d- I don't know. Like I've I've sort of toyed with both sides of this as a as a yay you could or nay you can't and like there is rumors that Austin Powers four may or will happen down the line like Mike Myers seems keen and uh, I'd I'd say they're going to get desperate enough and throw some money at him to to make one eventually because what's old is new again as as Hollywood mm. like it to be but I don't know if it would work in this day and age like what happens is it another time jump he gets cryogenically frozen again and he ends Ooh. up in the 2020s is that the next yeah. thing and you know will those same old tropes hold weight again so i'm gonna say no just on the back of that yeah what about if you were just to make this fresh like say re- clean reboot completely w- would this kind of film work because i think it would be much harder i don't think that the james bond movies are as much a part of pop culture especially the the type that they're satirizing in this movie i think they'd have to almost look at films like the born identity like the born movies taken fast and furious like these kinds of like the, the modern kind of action movie maybe the modern james bond movies and see what there is within that to kind of have a go at i don't know if well, it works or not because no one's really done it well like I feel like the concept of bringing someone from the past, like a spy from the past into the future, mm. and I guess how far into the future we are now, like, and just watching him bumble his way through the future is still going to be funny regardless. But I guess it's more about the execution on, like, how much you focus on his him as a character and him as a being, like, and his, like, sexuality and all that sort of stuff. It could be very, like, and I'm going to say Benny Hill, where it's, like, very slapstick of Mm. him just fumbling, you know, new technology and him trying to use his old ways and it just dwindling in front of him. So I don't know if he'd be a a successful character as he is in this movie, but 
Uh, like the concept of a spy from the past coming to the future can work. Yeah. 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 I guess it's possible. Like all things are possible with the right creatives behind them. We've seen that from, uh, you know, the Star Wars reboots, depending on where you fall. Yeah. About <laughs> where you sit on the there line. Was a, there, was a, yeah. no, well, there was a time where it was unthinkable that they could do something like that and pull it off. Yeah. 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 I think the closest and... and doing some internet research this past week i saw a couple of references to mcgruber a lot which is another sort of parody spy film which was done a lot more recently uh it was okay i don't think it it was was as good as austin powers but yeah i think maybe that sort of spy parody thing is maybe run its course well mcgruber is a parody of macgyver yeah yeah and that's another saturday night live alumni with will forte and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure uh Lorne michaels would have been involved in that and and those movies tend to be quite low budget like the wayne's world night at the roxbury like yeah they're not like mega super duper budgets not that austin powers was but it certainly had a bit more to play with than probably mcgruber anyway not that a, a budget makes a movie funny but yeah i, I think it's I'll, I'll say it's possible but it's just going to be a bit trickier um, I don't have much useless trivia left to share with you guys because we've covered most of it, but there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Comedian Colin Quinn, another former SNL guy, was offered the role of Scott Evil but turned it down to focus on writing projects. I'm so glad that he was not cast in this movie because he just doesn't scream like petulant teenage kid. He was mm-hmm. 38 when, when this movie came out, so it would have been a very different character. Obviously, it wouldn't have been a young character it would have been maybe someone that was born just after dr evil uh was like frozen yeah instead of like the whole ivf or whatever they decided to do with scott (laughs) so yeah that would have been so different and colin quinn's fine but i just think having a teenage kid is such a great juxtaposition instead of like a kid who's the same age as you i guess that could have been funny in a different way yeah i agree yeah so i want to talk a little bit about the sequels to this movie the spy who shagged me made 312 million dollars i think it's generally considered the best of the three does that sound right to you guys yeah i like number two what i think i think number two is better than the first one i do i Definitely. I, you've got Mini Me. You've got Fat Bastard. I think that it has I hate more. Fat Bastard. It has more iconic uh, imagery and, and scenes. Like it's got the whole like floating. I don't know how you describe the scene, but it's like the genitalia floating spaceship and the scene where it cuts from one person to the other, describing it in a really clever way. I mm-hmm. thought that was the third one. They do it in both. Do they? Yeah. Oh. One of them's like a set of boobs and the other one's like uh, a yep. Johnson. <laughs> but yeah, so you're on the same page with me, Brendan? Ali's clearly Yeah, not. I think so. Like I haven't watched too rec- like as recent as number one, but I remember mm. enjoying uh, number two outside of yeah them completely just, just tanking the marriage straight off the bat with Liz Hurley. Yeah. I thought that was a, a little on the nose, but yeah, overall, I, I thought Graham. it was pretty good. And, and I didn't mind... Fat bastard character. I can't stand Goldmember. I cannot stand him. And just the third <laughs> yeah. movie in general, I don't really enjoy. Another but... iconic mm. character, though. Yeah, that's true. Everyone says a smoke and a pancake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the first one made $67 million. 
Spy Who Shagged Me made $312 million. That is an incredible <laughs> jump and just shows, I guess, how popular the character became in, like, I don't know, word of mouth or something? Because mm. I don't think Spy Who Shagged Me was that much better. I think it was a better film and it maybe tapped into what was hot at the time. Maybe it was Bond had, had become bigger in, in a bigger way. Maybe it was more fun to satirize it at that point. But... Goldmember, even despite what you've just said, Brendan, it made two hundred ninety-six million. So, mm-hmm. despite not having the reputation and, and being that kind of like third film, that sequelitis, it still did really well. Mm-hmm. I think I think the best thing with Goldmember was Michael Caine being cast as Austin Powers' dad. Yeah, yeah, that's great. the best part of that movie for me. Really, like it's great, um, great. and that they also delve into the history behind like Doctor Evil and Austin Powers and that little twist. Um, but uh, and there's a scene where Doctor Evil and Minimi are in prison. Like mine got so good. It is so good. The hard knock life video. <laughs> so mine actually goes number one, number three, number two. I hated number what? two. What? I hated number two. What don't you like about number two? Um, I I don't know. I just felt like. And who's the, number two working for? <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like it flowed a bit weirdly. It was fine, but like I just don't remember it as well as one and three. And I hate fat bastard. But Mini Me. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mini Me. <laughs> I just love the, I just love the interactions between Mini Me and Doctor Evil. No, we do not know on Kitty. <laughs> Seeing just the two of us yeah. and like going back in time and like playing "What if God was one of us" and acting like he wrote that song. I love that. It's <laughs> mm. uh, okay. That's that's enough trivia. The Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. What do we got here? I think Will Ferrell is a, a front runner. He, we've mentioned him already and how funny he is. And he is only a flash in this movie. And then, obviously, Tom Arnold was mentioned as well as the, the cowboy in the toilet. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other guys I want to give a shout out to just because of who they are, like the super Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have much to do. Uh, Basil Exposition, mm-hmm. the character played by uh, Michael York quite a famous British actor. They all do a really great job. Carrie Fisher is in this movie and I did not recognize her. I did not recognize her until I was doing research and then I had to go back and watch that scene. But that therapy scene is actually another amazing bit of comedy. But uh, what do you guys think? Who do you think is most deserving of the Spark Plug Award? I'm I'm going with Will. Uh, I I think he, yeah, was, was still relatively relatively unknown or not really unknown but he's nowhere near the height of his powers that he is today and it was a bit character that that somehow got more blood squeezed out of it in the second film as well uh i love that he was wearing the what do they call those hats a fez that he's wearing the fez anytime i see a fez in in uh, (laughs) pop culture film television whatever i just i'm all in so um Mustafa. Yeah, Mustafa was great. Had some great one-liners. And um, yeah, obviously he, he's gone on to, to do some pretty impressive things. So I'm, I'm going with Will Ferrell. Yeah, you guys have pretty much mentioned all the ones that essentially deserve it. I want to give an honorable mention to Clint Howard as well. <laughs> like Clint yeah, Howard. Yeah, yeah, he's the yeah, unfortunate looking the brother. <laughs> but yeah, he was in it. So um, yeah, I want to give another honorable mention to Clint Howard. Shout out to Clint. He's... he's- such a interesting looking he little is. man. <laughs> it's brought up a lot based on how he looks. 
Yeah. So looking at Will Ferrell's IMDb, this was 97. The next one came out in 99. And between those two movies, he'd only really done like A Night at the Roxbury as far as bigger roles. So I dare say he still wasn't really super well known by that point. Mm. And they probably brought him back just because he did such a great job in that role. So yeah. not just because he was Will Ferrell is what I'm getting at. So yeah, yeah. let's give it to him. Well done, Will. Uh, <laughs> the start of, the start of a great career. <laughs> <laughs> He'd only really done a handful of like uncredited and small things yeah. in film before this too. So mm. yeah, really good. Last question before we head off into the night. Is it still a good movie? And I think that we all would say yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Enjoyed it more than watching rewatching Ray- Wayne's World again the other day. So uh, <laughs> that's where I feel on the uh, yeah. the Mike Myers legacy. Yeah, of the the films that I've rewatched recently, Big Daddy, Nutty Professor episodes that will probably be out by the time people hear this. I think this one probably made me laugh the most. And yeah, it, it if it's like I said when we watched Basketball, this is a much better film than Basketball. I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, Ali. Only slightly, but continue. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> because with basketball, I said you know if you want to watch this particular type of movie, like a satire, like the kind of like Mel Brooks style, scary movie style spoof movie, basketball is a great one to go back to and get some good laughs. But I think Austin Powers works regardless of the genre. Like it's just funny in and of itself, and Mike Myers is in full Mike Myers mode. You get the best of him really in this movie. So. You know, if you if you did have a kid who grew up with Shrek or a, a friend, a younger friend who grew up with Shrek and you said to them, like, do you want to see a Mike Myers movie? I'll show you a Mike Myers movie. Like, I think this is where you go back to. You go back to Austin Powers trilogy. Uh, as much as I love Wayne's World, I think that these movies probably hold up a bit better. And I think there's just more laughs in there. Yeah. More consistent 100%. laughs and it's, yeah, good on the palate from start to finish. Yeah. Quick yeah. shout out too to the random little scene transitions where they get the little 60s yeah. beat and like he does a little, you know, oh, little yeah. pop pop of expression to the camera and whatever. Yeah. I forgot how good they were and they still made yeah. me smile every single time. Yeah. yeah, and, and, and that's also another thing that just makes this movie a little different is that it does have that 60s vibe and flavor and throwback nostalgia value. And even, like, I should have said this under what's, um, what holds up, but Austin Powers' look, apart from his teeth, like it's kind of still trendy to look like that now. Oh yeah, like it's, yeah. He, he he pretty much he pretty much looks like a hipster. Like if you saw someone dressed like that, apart from the cravat and the ridiculous costume side of it, like his look isn't that far out now as it would have been when it came out. Mm-hmm. Love okay. you, Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come back on Netflix with with the goods. Let's oh. see what you got. Show me, show me what you got. Oh. <laughs> you owe it. You owe it to him to give him the chance, uh, Brendan. With all the laughs he's given you over the years. Yeah, I'll I'll at least watch. What, like I think it's a six episode. Um, yeah. Season, whatever he's doing, I'll watch two of them and gauge it from there. All right. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll reconvene after that and and do a, like a, a mini comedy rewind breakout or something. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, but for now, listeners, you can let us know what you think of Austin Powers and our takes on the International Man of Mystery. On social media, you can get in touch with us. I'm at Johnny himself. Where can we find you guys? You can find me at Brendan8bit. And you can find me at Miss Ali Hart. 
And of course, you can follow 8-Bit at We Are 8-Bit, A-T-E-B-I-T. Comedy Rewind is, of course, part of the 8-Bit Collective, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on over there. We've all been very hard at work putting together an exciting collection of great perks on the Patreon. So head over there, support the show. That's how you can get involved, get into the 8-Bit Family Portrait. Anything you want to say about that, Brendan, while we're here? It is uh, DC and Marvel themed this time around. So uh, Mm. you are going to be able to be immortalized as your favorite DC or Marvel character, superhero or supervillain or antihero, whatever you want to be. If it's it's a character from those those universes, you can make it so. All the while helping 8-Bit do what we do. You're talking about a lot of new content as well. So four new podcasts, uh, Welcome to Knob Switch, Hanshot First, The Hungry Game Show, as well as The Inconsolables joining the 8-Bit Collective. So a ton of there. And obviously, yeah, Mm. shop 8bit.net to get to our official merch store for t-shirts, hoodies, caps, socks, pillows, beach towels. You name it, it's on there. We can be all over your body, however you'd like us to be. Shop <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, of course, you can catch these guys on the Hungry Gamers, Apple Podcast Reviews, Podchaser Reviews. It all helps us out. It all makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. But for now, dear listeners, thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind. Yeah, baby. Groovy. <laughs> <laughs>